My name is Ryan Carver. I'm one of the pastors here at Gulf Coast. Uh, Jerry is actually uh, preaching at Gulf Coast Brandon, so that's what he's doing this morning. And uh, so I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you today. Uh, let's pray. Father, as we turn to you this morning, we need your help. We need your spirit to awaken us afresh to the excellencies of Christ. God, we need you to move in our hearts, not just our minds, but in our hearts, God, in a way that would change everything, God, that we would embody Jesus to the world around us, that we'd be speaking of your truths to one another, God, that we would see you more clearly. So do that work today through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Gulf Coast, what are our five missional priorities? If you guys can just belt them out, it's been a little bit since we've done this. What's one? Come on, just call it out. Culture. What's that? Gospel culture. Gospel mercy. Gospel outreach. Gospel unity. Oh, gospel formation. We got it. All right. Praise God. So today we're going to be talking a lot about gospel culture and gospel mission. And so that is our agenda for today as we look at Colossians chapter 3. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, we're going to have three points. Looking to reality, living in the past, and then living in the present together. Okay, so those are our three points today. So as we look to Jesus this morning, gathered together as a family united in Christ, praise God, may our eyes, our ears, our hearts just be, be stirred, just, just well up with the greatness of God. And his call on our lives as we look to Jesus. That's the hope. That's the goal today. The ultimate goal. So anyway, Paul penned this letter to the church in Colossae while he was in prison. And this, this, this letter that he wrote to that church, it came after he had been visited by a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras, he was a faithful leader in, in the church in Colossae. And what happened was, after he was visited by Epaphras, he learned of what was happening in that church. And he saw that there could be uh, some issues arising, just as he, he, he learned that they were a faithful church. But there was, there was a, a chance, there were dangers that, 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 that he saw the potential for them to steer away from the gospel. So we're told in the early part of the letter, letter that the Colossian church was faithful. It even says, uh, Paul says that they were filled with love for one another. And even as, I, even as I say this, as I'm giving this intro to the letter, I think, man, Gulf Coast, we have so much in common with, this, with, with the, the church in Colossae. And I think also how we also must be careful and, and be warned in some way, admonished, when we might be, have a potential to steer away from the gospel. And so Paul continues to tell us, he says that the gospel which, which the church held dear, it was bearing fruit not only among them, but even in the whole world. This was a church, it was doing well, and yet due to the culture that the church was in, you know, everything that surrounded 
them in their, in their environment, in their society, and in, in, in all of their, their language, and in the arts, and all of these things, it led to some dangers that they needed to be aware of, and Paul addresses them. So one would be polytheism. There's multiple gods. This God does this for this, and, 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 and you need to satisfy this God, and this God, and this God out of fear, out of, out of, oh, uh, to, to get what you need because this God demands this. That's polytheism. And there was just multiple gods for everything. But here's the reality, and we know this, that Jesus has triumphed over all spiritual powers. And Paul's faithful to, to, to tell them that in this letter. And then there was another danger going on. There was this pressure to observe all the laws of the Torah. Every, every law that was found in the beginning of our Bibles, all these laws that God gave his people. And they believed that you had to follow these. There was a temptation to believe that you had to follow all of these laws of the Torah, whether it's eat kosher, be circumcised, observe sacred days to earn God's favor. But the reality is Jesus fulfilled on our behalf all of the laws of the Torah. He, 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 he fulfilled these and he's actually the one who all of the laws of the Torah pointed to. That's what they were for. They had a purpose. And so, with this reality that Jesus fulfilled all of the laws of the Torah, and he is the laws of the Torah, then we can't, they would warn the Colossians. Paul would warn the Colossians, don't go back to those old ways, thinking this is what you must do, but look to Jesus, the one who has accomplished everything and has power over every spiritual power. So that's, that's what we're walking into as we dive into the book of Colossians. He, embracing polytheism and the pressure to observe all the laws of the Torah denied the reality of the power of Jesus' resurrection to change everything. When Christ was raised from the grave, he defeated sin, death, and evil. Let's not forget that. He's warning the Colossian church to not forget that. So let's look in chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Point 1, looking to reality. Verse 1, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now as Jesus, as I said, defeated sin, death, and evil by being raised from death, we look in these verses and we're reminded that we were raised with him. We were raised with him when we put our trust in him. And by following Jesus and trusting in him, instead of rebelling against our creator, and instead of rebelling against the one who made us and, and holds all things in his hands and knows everything, instead of going our own way, we die to ourselves and we submit to Christ as our Lord. God, you are king. You are created. We, we submit our lives to you. What are your ways? We want to know you. We want to follow you. Oh, oh, lead us, God. That's what it looks like to trust 
in him. And this verse, these verses remind us that we're hidden with Christ in God. What Christ has done, we, have now been, we are now part of, and it's been given to us. So by his resurrection power, we're being transformed, and we have a secure future with Christ. And this is reality. We have to grasp this. We have to grasp this. We must fix our eyes on this truth. And so in chapter 1, going back just a little, Paul speaks of how he and Timothy never stopped praying that the church in Colossae would grasp this reality and that they would have this confidence in Christ. So let's read chapter 1, verse 9. He says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Well, by the way, let me pause here. This is a church that Paul actually had never met. He had never met the people that made up this church. But he heard of them. And he takes them kind of a, he, he, he sees that he's united with them as God's church is scattered across the world. And he knows that this church is part of the great family of Jesus. And so he doesn't stop praying for him. Talk about gospel unity, right? And he is, when he says never stop praying, I mean, for all I know, Paul might have prayed three times a day like a, a, a Jew would have in those days. But his mind was on the church. And this is what he prayed for the church. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that, church, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you might have great endurance and patience, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance of light. He goes on in verse 13. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's praying this for the church. And then he goes on in verse 15. There's a poem here. And Paul, actually, when he penned this letter, he wrote a poem in the letter. Just imagine getting this letter as a church far away, and, 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 and the, the person who wrote it then made a poem. And he, and he, and he took time, probably worked on this with, with Timothy and, and, and others. They, they, often it was a, a collaborative effort. And in this poem, he writes telling of how the full character and purpose of God is embodied in Jesus. He speaks of how Christ, by Christ, all reality has been created. He says how Jesus is the author and king of all creation, and he's, he's bringing about a new creation. He's the head of a new body, we'll see in this poem. Jesus is people, a new humanity, the church. He's the head of the church. And it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has reconciled himself to, to humanity. He's made a way of peace. Let's read that starting in verse 15. And as we read it, may, may, may our hearts be stirred to, to who Christ is and what he's done. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, 
the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, that Christ, he defeated sin, defeated death, he defeated evil. He rules over the creation, all creation from the heavens. And so, as chapter 3 says, in verse 1 and 2, set your minds, set your minds to embrace this reality. God is at work, and one day he'll return. He'll return here to transform all things. So now looking at verse 4 right now, it says Christ, who is your life, is, is, is shaping us to look more and more like him. He's conforming us into his image, as Romans 8, 29 says. We're, we're hidden in Christ, but we're also being changed to look more and more like him, to, have, to take on Christ's likeness. And as we do that, we're, we're revealing him to a world around us. We're hidden in Christ. And as, he, as he's doing this work in us, we're embodying his life, his life that's in us, to reveal him to the world around us. And one day, we'll be like him in full glory, oh, fully bearing his image as we live into eternity on the new heaven and new earth. And this is the story of God and where we fit in. It's, it, and, and by the way, it's not just where you fit in. It's where we fit in. This is a communal letter. This is where the people of God, those who had placed their trust in Jesus, this is a story of God and where we fit in. It's a reality that we have to grasp and live into. So last week we heard an amazing story from Amy Smith. And she told us, she told us about her parents, Pete and Denise, who did not listen to their doctors who said they should abort Amy due to extreme medical issues. And the part of the story, that part of the story was worth celebrating. But then... Amy mentioned how her husband, Chris, comes from a family where he was one of 18 siblings, I think I got the number right, adopted out of the foster system. Chris's parents believed their ministry was to the two children who may be the unwanted or the unloved. Imagine the faith that they had and and the conviction and, and how they took on so much. I love the story of Pete and Denise and not listening to their doctors. I love this story too. It just defies everything and shows faith in God. Amazing faith in action. We're celebrating. But now, whatever background Chris and his siblings came from, at some point, they had a new reality to live into, that of a loving household. See, I don't know where they came from, but when they were put into this this new house with these siblings and parents who dearly loved them, tried to just care for them in every way. They had a new reality, a new household to, to, gra- to, to, to grasp. What? I'm not, in, I'm not in my old place anymore. I'm, I'm here? They love me? What? So for illustration purposes, just, just imagine. Imagine being born into uh, an abusive, unloving household. Maybe, maybe some of you were. I don't, I don't know, but 
maybe, maybe this is, this, uh, just imagine it like this, and then maybe your parents were poor, they're struggling in every which way you can imagine, okay? You're in this household, you're growing up as a child, and you're, you're just, you're well acquainted with starvation, neglect, insecurities of all kinds, okay? That's the world you know. <clears throat> and now fast forward to the day your adoptive parents bring you home. Imagine, your new parents, they, they feed you this, this wonderful meal, right? And yet you hoard some of that meal because you don't know, you're used to not having food f- for a long time. So you stuff some food in your pockets for later. Imagine, your new parents, they try to talk to you, but you keep quiet so that you won't get hit, you know, to stir up anger in some way. So you're just quiet, even though they're trying to talk to you and they have soothing words, and but you keep quiet because of your, your thinking of your past. And when you see items of value in this new house that you're in, you, you steal them because that was how you survived. You, you, you would take things just so out of need in your old household. And as an adopted child, your reality actually has changed. And yet you, like I'm sure many adopted children, would struggle to adjust to this new reality. But now imagine over time you begin to see everything is just completely different than the past. Instead of yelling and crying to the filling the household, it's laughter and conversation. Instead of dust and dirt covering all the areas of the house, now there's like colorful warm blankets and bright colored pillows on the couches. And instead of of getting beaten for reasons you you actually never understood, now you get tender hugs because your new parents love you. You begin to see this consistent love coming from your new parents. You see sacrifice, you see care, you see generosity. Generosity protection, and you begin to realize everything has changed. You're a child in a household that loves you and calls you their own. Now, to be sure, you might still struggle with the insecurities of the past, but you begin to embrace the realities of your new family, of your new household. Now, this is every adoptive parent's dream, and and I realize it doesn't always go this smooth. But as we consider our reality as seen in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we're invited in in, in these verses to live into a new reality, to to remember what is actually our position, our place, what we've been given, a new reality in which Jesus rules in love and, and he's forming a new family. He's forming a new humanity, a restored household. And this is the story of God, when we're, where we fit in. And now moving to point two, living in the past, we must learn, we have to learn, to not live in the past. There's a temptation there, though. There's a struggle. So read with me in verse five. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, 
Put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. This list, it speaks of selfish actions that, that really just tear, tear apart humanity. And they're the antithesis of, of God in every way. And sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed are idolatry. Why? Because to live in these ways is to say that you must take from others to provide for yourself. To live in these ways is to say that God does not provide for us. We must take from others. Whether it's in sexual sin, whether it's financially, and the list goes on. We're to put these things to death. They tear one another apart. Humans that were made in the image of God. And this is why, in verse 6 it says, God's wrath is coming. It's coming upon the disobedient. Because God loves us too much to allow dehumanizing to continue into eternity. God loves those he created too much for these sins to, to, to take place. And so anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language, they're, they're a non-physical verbal means of ripping humans apart as we go down on this list. To live in these ways is to say that God is not to be trusted. He's not all-powerful. He doesn't provide for you. He's, he's not a loving father. It's a way of trying to use our, our words often, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language, to raise ourselves up at others' expenses, at another's expense. When we, when we are angry towards someone, right, they, our emotions are taking over and we're looking down on them like, how could you have done this to me? Whether it's road rage or, you know, a, a, a family feud, whatever. How, how, how could you have done this to me? And we're lashing out, slander, we're putting people down. I mean, God wants us to raise people up. We're saying we're high and mighty when we know we're actually low and we need Christ. We need God. These, these things, filthy language, even corrupt speech, as we're, whether we're talking about, about others or, or using this in a way that would, wouldn't be appropriate, we're saying that we, we're, we must use these in some way to gain control or to put someone down, to, to, do, to, to somehow weaken a brother and sister. This is not what God would want for us. To live in these ways, even as verse 9 says, is to live a lie. Do not lie to one another, verse 9. It says, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. You see, Christ died and he was raised so that we could have new life, so that we could be restored in his image and so to tear people other, uh, each other apart, to tear others apart, it goes against everything Christ came for. He came to restore. He came to make new. And so to live in these ways out of this, out of this list here, it's actually anti-gospel. It's, to live in these ways is to lie to one another about the reality that Christ is Lord and King. It's anti-gospel culture. We're called to build one another up to support one another, to love one another. 
And if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and that God, by his spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, as Romans 6 says, if we believe that that spirit, his spirit, is transforming people into Christ's image to glorify Christ, if we believe that God is restoring people with new life, then we won't tear people apart, using them for our own selfish purposes. But instead, we'll look to where we can join in with God and build others up. We'll look for it. And as Jerry even said during our Easter message, what does it look like to practice the resurrection? It means we look to build others up, to bless them as we've been blessed. It looks to serve others as we've been served. And as we help others, as we speak up for others, as advocates for them, just as Christ was an advocate for us, as we care for others, just as Christ cared for us, we're joining into the mission of God and we're displaying the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What a picture. It's the opposite of the list above. And as we do this, we too are revealing and we're reminding one another, others, not just one another here, the world. We're showing them. We're showing them the gospel, the good news that God is bringing shalom. He's bringing peace to this world. He's making things the way they should be. But if we lose sight of the gospel, by having our minds on earthly things, as verse 2 says, and, and in turn, if we do not put to death our earthly nature, as verse 5 says, it means we will live once again as if Christ has not been raised. And that's not reality. But it means we will live as if that is reality. It means we will live in the past. And if we lose sight of Jesus, who he is and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do, see, it's past, present, future, He's done all this. He is working, and he will work. But if we lose sight of that, we'll devour others, we'll tear others apart to serve our own desires because we'll forget he supplies all we need. If we forget Jesus is the author and the king of all creation, remember what we read in chapter one in, in the poem. If we forget these things and we think that we are in control of our little world, we'll start anxiously fending for ourselves. We'll start fending for ourselves again, just hoarding things. No matter who it hurts. And forgetting that Jesus already approves of us and he calls us his sons and daughters We'll live in our insecurities and we'll feel the need to tear others down so that we could feel better about ourselves. We can't live in the past and that's not us anymore. And that's Paul. Paul is reminding us of that in these verses. So to look to the truths of the gospel is to see reality which helps us to not live in the past. We must look to the truths of the gospel. In the Colossians, they needed to be reminded of the centrality and the preeminence of Christ over their lives, in their lives, and for their lives. Christ reigned over them, in them, and for them. And we do too. We have to remember it. So today, may we remember, may we look to all that Christ has accomplished. And so, as this is a communal letter, not just for individuals, but to a church made up of people, now we see Paul exhorting the church toward a gospel culture. 
one in which each person reveals and reminds the other of the life-changing gospel of Jesus. So point three, living in the present together. Starting in verse 11. If in Christ there's not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all, Notice the word all. (laughs) The Colossians lived in a Roman society, really where they would be tempted to set boundaries of the gospel. They would would tend to set these boundaries almost similar to the cultural and social boundaries uh, in their world. And just as there were no exceptions, there's there's, there's no exceptions for who the gospel is for, the emphasis here is that there's no exceptions who we apply these verses to. There's no boundaries with Christ doesn't matter who you are. The gospel is for you. The gospel is for you. The gospel is something that is for everyone. And they would struggle with that because they were in a culture that really showed differently. It showed that there were different classes and different people groups and they didn't, they didn't work together. They weren't brought together. They weren't in the same family. But what, the, what the, these verses show, this verse shows in, in 11 is that God is bringing us together by the gospel. And it's together that we'll grow in the gospel. And he continues in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Let me just stop there. Because of the reality of who God is, what he's done, and who we are because of these things, this is, then, then now comes the exhortation. So he, again, he reminds us, this is, this is who God is. This is what he's done. Now this is who you are. You're, cho- he, you're God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Now put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against you, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you're also to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were called in one body rule in your hearts and be thankful. And as Christ has shown us compassion, may we show, compa- may we show compassion to everyone. And just as Christ has shown us com- kindness, may we show kindness to everyone. Just as Christ has lived out humility, the king of all creation humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. He suffered and died. He laid down his life for us. May we lay down our lives for others, even to the point of death. And as Christ displayed gentleness even to his enemies, may we show gentleness to those who offend us. As Christ would show us patience even when we deserve wrath, may we show patience with others who would maybe not even turn from their evil ways, but with hope that they would turn from their evil ways. Let's show them patience, leading them to repentance. As as Christ forgives, may we also forgive, not simply just forgetting the wrongs that were done to us, but seeking reconciliation, pursuing reconciliation as Christ has pursued reconciliation with us. This is Christ who is your life, living in you right here. When we put these things on, this is Christ who is our life living in us, as verse four speaks of. See, the gospel doesn't just change where we spend eternity. It transforms how we live now. I mean, I've struggled with compassion. If you know me, like, that's one of my weaknesses. 
And I've seen many of you time and time again serving others, even with your full schedules, you're caring for those who are difficult. I mean, it's, it points me to Jesus. It reminds me, okay, I can, that's Jesus. That's, that's Jesus working in them. Reminds me of even, uh, and then I'm, I'm reading scripture, it reminds me of Jesus who, who, who stopped and, and he had compassion on the masses and he taught them and he fed them. And, and then I think of uh, Jesus' compassion on me and, and what it does is it compels me to have compassion on those that I really don't want to have compassion with, but it's changing my heart as I watch you and I, I look to Christ and next thing you know, I'm doing things I never would have done. And, and I, I could share the stories of that and... I could gospel brag, not humble brag. I could gospel brag. And, and, and we should as a, as a community. I, I think we should do this more often. Hey, you know what God helped me do the other day? Don't hold it back. That's why we do stories up here, testimonies. But I, I think it should fill our language even more. So often I think we're, we're tempted to sound like we're like, oh, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging. Let's brag on Jesus. Let's, let's do it. We need it. I don't have time or I'd do some gospel bragging right now. <laughs> As Christ lives in us, may we put on the character of Christ, revealing to one, one another whose we are and who we are, God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. And love binds all of these virtues together in unity, it does. And, and without love, we, we're, we're, we're going to fail. We're not going to love. If we lose sight of God's love, then we will fail in these things. We must keep the cross before us. We must keep the character of God before us. Verse 15 reminds us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. This is a peace that we, which Christ brought, uh, brought through his blood, shed on the cross, Colossians 1.20 says. It makes a way for anyone, remember, Jew or Greek, uh, barbarian, Scythian, to be united in one body with Christ as the head. And there's a redemptive, salvific comfort knowing that no one is too far from the love of God. Doesn't matter who you are. We don't have barbarians around here, but they were very far from God in their eyes in that day. Scythians as well. No one is too far from the love of God. So to put on Christ-like character, as Paul speaks of in verses 12 through 17, is to grow mature in Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus. And as a church, when we live this way with one another, we're living out gospel culture. It goes against the grain of the culture around us. I mean, our culture speaks of love and generosity. I think we see it. We see, we see those words being used. But we, we, we swim in a world of backbiting, of selfish gain. And the motto, to, to follow what makes us happy. That's, that's the opposite of gospel culture. Jesus says, follow to the point of death. Give your lives up. If you know me, you know I love strategy. I love missiology. I love systems. I love leadership pipelines. I, all that stuff just makes me smile. You see the smile? <laughs> and on Thursday, we hosted a group of pastors um, at our building, and they were with Converge, which is an organization. It's a network uh, that we can utilize their resources. One of their taglines is Healthy Pastors, Healthy Church. And it's a great group of guys, and, and uh, different pastors from the area gather. and It's just a good time. And um, they were whiteboarding. 
And they were speaking about a, like a discipleship pathway of sorts. And it was really helpful. Um, it, it, they were trying to, to say how we should be clear uh, on how to help like a, a new person get involved and then, and then uh, connect into a small group, which would be our community groups. And then, you know, how do we um, get people to, to feel like they really are part of Gulf Coast and then to serve? And it was, a, it was really good to say, hey, we need to be clear when, you, when someone either walks in on a Sunday or somehow just wants to join in with us. Hey, what are our what are next steps? I love all that stuff. And, we, and, and to be clear, we really, do, we, we, we really do need to grow in those things. But then it got me thinking, what do we really want to be clear on? What do we really want each person who sees themselves as part of Gulf Coast to grow in? And, and, and what does it look like for, for leaders to be raised up? And when I say leaders, I mean servant leaders, like those who just serve their brains out leaders, right? Like, not that's the, that's the Jesus way of a leader. Um, so what do we want to be, what do we want to grow in? Well, I, I think this list is it. I think this list that Paul gives us is, is what we want to be growing in. This is gospel culture. This is, this is what we want to celebrate next Sunday at our 30th anniversary. We don't want to celebrate how many people are here or, or what we, uh, you know, changed in the building or any of that. What we want to celebrate is, is, is how we've been growing in Christ. And, and, and not only that, how we've been transformed in Christ, but how we've seen that lived out together. May the stories abound of how God, through his, by looking to the love of Christ, we in turn have laid down our lives for one another. That's what we celebrate. And that's what we, we, we can grow in too. We pray we'll continue to grow in that. And so this letter helps us to, to, to realize reality. It calls us to not live in the past. And Paul is exhorting the church to live in the present reality together, reminding each other of the gospel by how we live our lives. A gospel culture, it's formative. As Christ lives in us, we help others to live like Christ. And so a gospel culture and, a go- and gospel formation, they, they, go, they go hand in hand. Let's see Paul's prescription for a gospel culture continue. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So scripture, it's vital for the Christ follower. But it's to, it's to inform and to transform it's to transform us as Christ is revealed to us through the words of Scripture. It can't only inform. It must transform. The Word, which is Christ, is revealed in the Scriptures. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus that manifests himself in and through us. All of Scripture points to Jesus so that we would know God. Not just know of God that we would know God. So we're to teach and admonish one another verbally and in our Christ-like deeds about the word who is Christ as we, we fix our eyes on him so we could teach and, and show one another Christ using scripture, using our lives. And so that's why we must be reading scripture. We must be spending time with one another, reading scripture, and time with one another to apply these things that Paul says to put on. Reading scripture communally. 
Reading scripture together is, a, is, is, is actually what we see in scripture. This letter was given to the church to be read together. It doesn't mean we shouldn't read it by ourselves. Oh, we should do that too. But even communally, as we, as we do that, it's, a, it's a, a biblical practice, and it's a way that we encourage one another as we dialogue through it, as we talk about it, as we speak the words, the truths in this text to one another. And so there's no Lone Ranger Christian. There's no solo calling. It's a communal, communal calling. So as we grow in wisdom and knowledge of God and we're reading our Bibles and living this gospel culture among one another, let's continue to share stories of what God is doing in us. Let's share stories of, of what we're seeing in Scripture, of how it's adjusting our perspectives at times. Man, I was believing this. I, I, was, I, was, I feel like I was actually going away from the gospel here. But man, I was reading Scripture and, and it, it reminded me of this. Let's be constantly talking along those things. It helps to build one another up. Let's admonish one another, just as Paul admonished the Colossians. Don't lose sight of the gospel, he said. Let me remind you of these things. Let me remind you of who God is, what he's done, and who we are. That might be a, a good opportunity. If you hear someone gossiping. You hear someone slandering, putting someone down. Well, I, don't, I don't know if we do that uh, as bluntly as, as we might imagine, but it's, it's often it's there's an undercurrent in how we speak about one another. And I, I like to say sometimes, I, I mean, I'm guilty of this too, and so please call me out if I ever do it, but sometimes we could talk about what others are doing, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not sensitive information, but, and, and like maybe even talking about things that we see that they could adjust in. But there are times when I think we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to use a common idiom, is... I think we need to say, hey, maybe, maybe you're, th- that was not malicious. And, 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 and maybe they just aren't seeing your perspective. So maybe you should talk to them. Get aligned with them. Help, talk to them and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm, you've offended me or you're doing this. And I, I'm, I'm wondering why. Help, help me understand this is a great line. Hey, just help me understand. And then as we talk to the, the person now they're, they're, they're seeing your perspective, and what does that do? It, it builds one another up. We're learning together. We're growing together. But when we gossip or we slander someone and maybe say, I can't believe they did this, it's not, it's not helpful. It's actually tearing the person down in front of the person you're talking to. It doesn't mean we can't talk, and we, everything has to be roses, and is everything great does mean that we should be advocates for those who can't speak for themselves in that moment. As Jesus was our advo- is our advocate before the Father. Paul gives us a very clear gospel formative practice here, and it's undeniable. We are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God and with one another. We did that today. And for everyone who sang, thank you for pointing me to Jesus. I like to, you'll see me sometimes if I'm not wrestling, wrangling my kids, I'll, I'll turn around and I'll just look at everyone singing because it, it fills me with joy and it reminds me of that we're unified. And this is just a small picture of the, the church at large. And it's also a small, it's a, it's a, this here when we gather and we're singing praises to God, even right now as the word of God is being spoken and taught, we're, we're, 
we're displaying, we're reenacting the story of God and actually all the way to the end where every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around the throne of God giving praises to him. And we're doing that this morning. We're reminding one another of this great hope that we have. Hmm. And so, as we sing, we're reminding one another that he brought peace to us by the shedding of his blood when we sing in unison. No matter how bad we sing. It's true. I mean, no matter how bad we sing, I mean, even in, because what, right, like, in our imperfections, Christ has purchased us. Christ has bought us. Christ calls us his heirs, his sons, his adopted sons and daughters in all of our imperfections. And so when we sing, I'm a horrible singer, so maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel good, but no, I'm not. My imperfect singing with you all is a display of all of us, imperfect. Thank God for his forgiveness and, and for Christ to, to, to to be hidden in Christ and all of our imperfections, but we could sing with worship, going before God with confidence, drawing near. And that's what we're doing as we're proclaiming his truths and singing together. I'd say the only reason not to sing would be because we're not grateful to God. And then we might just need to listen to the words that are being sung, the truths that are being sung so that our hearts are stirred to the realities of God. Whatever you do, verse 17 says, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, knowledge of Christ and obedience to Christ's lordship, it's pivotal, but it will only carry us so far. God wants our minds he wants our actions, and he wants our hearts. So I think of as an adopted child, an adopted child could follow the rules of the household, can learn the rules of the household. But it's when they trust their new parents and they see that consistent care for them that they begin to write their new last name with pride, with gratitude. Write that last name, and they know that they are forever part of a family shaped by love. They, they write it, and they know whose they are. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, let me just say this. We, we are a work in progress, the church, God's people. We are broken. We are messed up. We, we doubt. We we. we sometimes do not trust in Jesus and we believe lies and often our lives might misrepresent Jesus. But thank God that he's working in us and that it was Jesus who perfectly obeyed the Father. It was Jesus who perfectly worshipped the Father and he gave his life to the point of death for the forgiveness of sins and we trust in him in all of our imperfections. And he gives us new life. And so this, this text, and, and even we as a church invite you, and we, we as a church can invite our not, not, non-believing friends into what Christ offers, and that's new life. A life in the way that our creator God has designed and wants us to live. And he's working in us. May he continue to work. 
And we have a hope in a future hope where God will restore all things. So in closing, let me pray this prayer for us. And the band could come up too if they want. Father, we we pray. We pray for each other right now. Let's just pray together, guys, out of, the, out of this. We pray together right now, God. We pray together right now, God. That you would fill us with the knowledge of your will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, fill us, Lord. Those to our left, those to our right, those in front of us and behind. So that we may walk worthy of the Lord. Worthy of you, Lord. Fully pleasing to you. Oh, we want to bear fruit in every good work, God. We want to grow in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might. Give us great endurance and patience. May we joyfully give thanks to you, Father. You've enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. You've rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of of your Son, whom you love. And it's in you, it's in Christ, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God, for anyone in this room who does not see, is, is, is having a hard time living in this reality, seeing this reality of who Christ is, what he's done, and who we are. Give them eyes to see. Change our hearts, God, and lead us in paths of righteousness. Amen.